after traveling to the nation of Georgia for the last few days. So I'm like, where the hell's Georgia? Well, he says it's a beautiful jewel country that uh, we're trying to get him in contact with. Yael, are you there, my friend? Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I'm all connected. Good right. to talk to you. Yeah, and you're sounding, uh, well, crisp and clear, given the fact that you're thousands of miles away from us on the other side of planet Earth. How about that? Yeah, and I happen to be standing beside a McDonald's, so that tells you <laughs> where I have to go to get my good Internet. No doubt. <laughs> hey, with that said, you, know, okay, you, you told me last night uh, it's 4 a.m. local time. I'm making the trek back to Vienna from uh, you know, the nation of Georgia. And the first thing that goes through my head is, where the hell is Georgia? So give us a, a little geographic, uh, you know, information lesson here on the uh, on the nation of Georgia and, uh, you know, what that country is facing as far as uh, the, the geopolitical world that we live in. So Georgia, really interesting country. So we, it's in the Caucasus. So if we look towards the east, we look at the Black Sea. We look in the area of Armenia, Azerbaijan, and most importantly, Russia. And it's a very small country. You know, it's just uh, about 4 million people. Uh, but it's fairly old in terms of its culture. It was one of the first countries that actually became Christian uh, way back in the 4th century. And really why we talk about Georgia today is because since 2003, they had something called a Rose Revolution, where there was a huge political ouster. There was a very pro-Western government that came in. And they actually initiated the most pro-market reforms that we've probably seen throughout the world. There were something like 160th in terms of how free their economy was, and they shot up to about 60th, uh, just in the, and probably in about four or five years. So I've been going there the, the last couple of years. It's well known for its wine. It's well known for its good cuisine. And if any of you have paid attention to the headlines the last couple of years, they were invaded by Russia in 2008. And while they had a great run with a lot of their free market reforms, which, by the way, I should underscore, they completely privatized their health care system. They privatized the pension system. They completely privatized all of the energy sector. And in, this is a place that's in the mountains, very close to Russia, as I mentioned. But they have some of the cheapest prices in the world for electricity, for health care. And that's allowed so much richness to expand. And you have had a lot of people who've been interested in Georgia. Funny enough, Joe, the road on the way from the airport to the downtown is called George Bush Street. Hmm. George W. Bush came to Georgia um, back in, I think it was about 2006. And this is a place that really is inspiring a lot of aspirations from the U.S. Uh, I met with the former health minister. I met with some parliamentarians. They're all incredibly pro-USA. Uh, they can actually recite to me the the pledge or the Star Spangled Banner really easily. <laughs> they follow everything that's happening in the U.S. and it's a very very pro-Western place. They're trying to get into NATO. They're trying to get in the European Union, uh, but still one of the best places I think where we see good free market reforms put into action and people's lives improved because of it. So that's got to upset uh, you know their neighbors to the north, uh, meaning uh, Russia, in that uh, you've got this little diamond in the rough. Uh, essentially, you know, looking at the map right now, uh, you're sandwiched. Uh, the nation of Georgia basically sandwiched, as you mentioned, between Armenia, uh, Azerbaijan, Turkey, and then you've got uh, Russia to the north. Uh, and uh, you have to think that this is uh, you know kind of an eyesore uh, for you know Putin and the Russian way of life. Oh, definitely. And I think really since the Rose Revolution, that's back in 2003, 
the the guy there who kind of led that was uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, uh, easiest name to pronounce. Uh, but he became like the biggest reformer, I think, that we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. And the Russians absolutely detested him. They detested everything his government did because it brought that region closer to the U.S., closer to the more Western capitalistic democratic way of life. And that's why there's always been all kinds of uh, situations where the Russian soldiers have come over the border. There's that war that I mentioned in 2008 that lasted a couple of months and they lost some territory. And I think it's it's important to highlight the real issues for freedom that pe people are dealing with every day. You know, it's not just uh, people who invoke freedom in various things in the U.S. When we actually look at our way of life, we look at the peace and stability that we have, we have to compare that to situations where people are under constant threat of actual invasion by hostile powers. And it's, it's something that's very real in Georgia. But, uh, you know, as as awesome as it is, there there have been some changes in the last couple of years. The Russian money has flowed in. Uh, there's been a lot of pressure from Russia and, and a lot of the intelligence agencies there to try to destabilize the region. But Georgia is very important, not just for the Christian world, for the Western world, but for people who believe in free markets and economic liberties, because Georgia is something that provides us a beautiful example of what actually happens. You know, Joe, we always talk about this. What would happen if you just were able to put in all these reforms at once. And Georgia is a country where we saw what happened and it increased people's livelihoods, made them better off, more peaceful. And I think it's a good example that we can use every single day. Well, with that said, uh, you know, in regards to their people, you know, four million uh, people, uh, the size of just uh, you know uh, one of our uh, smaller uh, you know cities across the United States, to give you just a perspective there. Uh, that being said. As you mentioned at the top of the segment, you've got you know officials, elected officials there, parts of their population that sing nothing but praise for the United States. As you mentioned, they recite the Star-Spangled Banner and the Pledge of Allegiance with pride in the nation of Georgia on the other side of the world. It's just kind of baffling to me here. And, hey, you're in this country. You get your right to speak as freely, as asinine as you may sound. Uh, you can speak freely and, uh, you know, get away with some of the things that you can't get away with uh, in other parts of the world, which makes this nation great to an extent. Uh, but it's just kind of baffling to me. Why do you think that while, yes, there are issues here in the United States, you know, why do you think uh, – People around the world, you know, look at the U.S. in such a, a you know pleasant way and sing their praises when you uh, see what you've experienced over the last few days. Well, it has to do with the way that the United States became independent, and really our Constitution and the values of liberty instilled in those that have carried on for 250 plus years. That's something that we have to thank many other countries. They might be very old. But their constitutions are, are usually rewritten every 20 years. Uh, they are thousands of pages long. I mean, ours, you can pick up a pocket constitution. It's essentially the rules of the federal government. And that's what I think a lot of people revere in our system. They love that. And the ability to have the, re the restraints on government as the principal sort of cause. That's what the Bill of Rights is about, the amendments. It's about restricting the power of the federal government, whereas every other government in the world when you have a constitution, it just tells you what the government will do. And the list is endless. It never stops. And there's very few mechanisms to limit that. And in Georgia, they've taken up some of those same principles. And a lot of the politicians there, they're very much in contact with 
some of our senators and people who are in Congress and they make trips. Uh, they do all about North and South Carolina politics, uh, Joe. So that was actually kind of interesting. They've met Lindsey Graham a couple times and Tim Scott. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of people who are looking at the U.S. because of its stellar example of constitutional freedoms, because that's something that people are inspiring to. That's why people in Cuba, for instance, have American flags. That's why people in Hong Kong, when they were protesting against the Chinese communists, they had their flag as well, the U.S. flag. I think that that's just another example of why our system is one of the best in the world and can provide an example for so many others. I mean, Yael, when are you and I going to develop our own curriculum? Uh, because uh, the issues we talk about uh, you know, internally, domestically, as uh, local as you know, within our broadcast region through 106.7 FM, to the worldly view we just got this morning from yourself, you know, when are we going to start our own you know, social studies uh, curricula as far as you know, how we should be guiding our children in their formative and educational years? Well, we can easily do the Big Talker homeschooling guide. Uh, <laughs> I think there'll be a lot of people who can contribute, and uh, there'll be a great ideas from the audience as well. Yeah, that's uh, just another project, Joe, but if it furthers liberty, I'm all Fur in. Furthers liberty, and uh, you know what? could help uh, you know shape a generation, Yael. I mean, literally, in the last seven minutes, uh, I got more information uh, you know, on the nation of Georgia and, uh, you know, geopolitical uh, conversation that I got, uh, you know, throughout 20 years of, uh, you know, public education. So I think uh, uh, right there, I think, speaks for itself. Maybe because I was a slacker. Oh, no, there. you're totally right. <laughs> well, that could be. you got to pay attention in class, Joe. <laughs> yes. But they wouldn't have talked about, they would not have talked about Georgia because it doesn't feel that normal narrative. You know, this is a country that was in the Soviet Union, they knew, they knew what communism was. They knew what socialism was. And that's precisely why this revolution happened. They wanted to throw off the oligarchs. They wanted to throw off the power-hungry politicians. And they wanted to create a new system. And it was a success. And it's still a success. There are still problems that are occurring. There's a lot of the, the Russian influence that I mentioned before. There's, I mean, there are communist parties that still exist. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But it just shows you an example of people who've dealt with the stuff that people talk about casually here, like socialism like communism the people who've actually experienced it the real victims they want to go away from that very far away from that another uh, topic that caught my attention that i uh, threw your way earlier this week uh, given the fact that vienna uh, where you currently live uh, you know full-time uh, uh, was in the news cycle has to do with something known as havana syndrome and I'm reading through this uh, article in CNN, and it says dozens of victims have been reported in Vienna, a well-known hotspot for spies. Yeah, yeah, are you uh, hiding something from us uh, in uh, your contributions to us? Uh, this is why you have so much insider information all around the world, because uh, you may have an alternate ego that you run with uh, you know, elsewhere. Well, Joe, I am a man of many passports, but if I told you anything else, uh, I'm afraid I'd have to, you know, mark you deceased. So you're telling me that this, uh, you know, conversation and connection will self-destruct in five seconds if I go any further and ask you any more questions about that? Uh, you know, it could, it could, but uh, there's plenty of us uh, doing doing the Lord's work and uh, the U.S.'s work abroad, so we'll be happy. But man, this Havana syndrome, that's, uh, yeah, that hits close to home. So this started back in 2016. And why it's called Havana Syndrome is that you had the employees at the Cuban embassy, uh, the U.S. officials. A lot of them started reporting being sick. They had headaches. They had blurry vision. Uh, many of them were not able to stand up straight. And it was a good number of employees. And then we started getting reports in China uh, as well. 
at the U.S. Embassy that the employees there have the same sickness. And now we have it as well in Vienna. So the kind of theory that, that's been developed, and unfortunately, the intelligence agencies, uh, as you might have guessed, have very much botched this investigation. They still haven't been able to figure out exactly what it is. The assumption is that it's microwaves that are being directed at the buildings that host the embassy staff. And the places that we mentioned, Cuba, China, and now Vienna, all of those are important geopolitically and strategically. So you had in Cuba, you had the Americans getting closer to the Cuban regime or trying to open up and liberalize that market, the same in China. And the assumption is that it's actually Russian agents, uh, we go back to that again, who are doing this to try to thwart any further U.S. cooperation or influence in those areas. And why Vienna? It's pretty simple. Vienna is where all of the negotiations with the Iranians take place. So when we have John Kerry and you have people from the State Department who go to Europe to discuss everything related to the Iranian nuclear deal and, and what the sanctions should be, it's all in Vienna. So I have no doubt uh, that's exactly what's happening there. And uh, there's going to be more investigations on it. I think now it's 200 victims around the world of people at U.S. staff. Hmm. And so uh, does the Riddler have anything to do with this? Is it a mind control uh, sort of uh, you know, a, a piece of machinery that is I imposing these sorts of uh, symptoms on people? I'm going to go with the Riddler here or maybe Russia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. could be. I mean, they, they think it's more Russia because they know that the intelligence units have developed this capacity of targeted microwaves. Um, you can do it from just like a backpack or from a van. You just point a little device that points microwaves. It's this kind of stuff that I think is very dangerous and, and really understanding where this is happening because this is people's lives, you know, being put in jeopardy. And uh, this could be a lot more sinister than we know. Yael Lasowski giving us all sorts of updates uh, from around the world uh, this morning, only here on the Big Talker FM across the Cape Fear region. I hope you're enjoying this segment. I'm getting more information uh, you know, from our conversation that I have had uh, when it comes to you know, world issues. Uh, well, probably in about 10 years, if you tune into any of the major news networks uh, day to day, they don't cover this kind of stuff. Uh, why is that, Yael? Why is it that we have so much news and information out there, 24-7, in fact, uh, cable news Yet it's hard-pressed to find a three-minute story on some of the topics that you're covering today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think, you know, when we have stuff that's happening in the U.S., you know, we have real victims. We have people we can talk to. We have legislators who are responsible for certain things. For these global stories, it's hard. And, you know, Americans, we're, we tend to not be too interested in the global matters because we are the most powerful country in the world. We have the most premier culture, Hollywood movies. I mean, people everywhere around the world know who Tom Cruise is and Brad Pitt, you know, but we'd be very hard pressed to name any foreign presidents or prime ministers. It's just because of the supremacy of our culture, because we've been able to be so successful and we have such a big country, you know, Americans don't need to travel. Forty percent of us don't have passports. Hmm. Uh, so I guess I'll do the traveling for the rest of y'all. But <laughs> yeah, I think it has to do with that. I, you know, there's there's a lot to gain from being curious about the world because you can understand a bit of how our influence is hmm. everywhere. And the more you travel, the more you see that, uh, you know, you can find McDonald's and KFCs basically everywhere in the world. And, you know, it's a lot of those those great kind of cultural tropes that continue on. And it's really powerful. So I would, would hope that uh, once uh, pandemic stuff is over, people can travel and 
get out a bit more and maybe they'll see some of it and see the beauty. Yeah. And I would just say it gives everyone just a, you know, a whole new viewpoint to, you know, again, in this uh, debate that we're having in our country, whether, you know, we are inherently on the wrong side of history. I think you don't have to go very far. I would say maybe just 90 miles off uh, the coast of Florida uh, to give you a, a little insight as to, you know, what the rest of the world is like and, uh, you know, how people, you know, look and revere many of the foundational principles that, that this country operates on. Yet somehow, some way, uh, there's a good portion of our population for one reason or the other that feels we should, well, reverse course. It doesn't make much sense to me, given some of the things that, that you're telling us here today and some of the other you know, insiders we have uh, throughout the, the course of the week uh, providing similar viewpoints the way you are today. All right, Yael, uh, we're 24 minutes past the hour. I'm going to give you some time to tout some of the policies that you approve when it comes to our commander-in-chief, the 46th president of the United States. You better make it short because, uh, well, in fact, earlier this week, and you probably didn't catch uh, the conversation, but State Treasurer Dale Falwell also sang the praise of the Biden administration when it comes to health care and transparency within our hospital networks. Uh, something he's been pushing for a long time here in North Carolina, something President Trump initiated and uh, President Biden seems willing to, uh, you know, at least through this one issue, uh, build off uh, some of the gains made through the previous administration. Yeah, th this was about a week ago. This is the executive order Joe Biden put out on competition and consumers, so you know that my ears perked up. And in this, uh, it's just various directions that go out to various agencies. And the agencies that are tasked with various things like antitrust, like hospital pricing, and what the Biden administration is pushing is more hospital price transparency, the end of occupational licensing, uh, prospects for open banking, uh, making our, our banking a lot easier and simpler. And those things are great. And what I kind of posited is that that's a great starting point. And a lot of stuff was started in the Trump administration and we can continue on. But let's go full American way. Let's actually increase competition. Let's uh, look at Amtrak. And we've talked about that before. Let's introduce private competition to Amtrak, which is a quasi public monopoly. Let's do things like look at al alcohol modernization, because actually Joe Biden talks about the different regulations on brewers specifically in that executive order and how it actually pumps prices up. I think that's huge. Let's go even further again. Let's talk about scrapping these subsidies and bailouts for airlines. Uh, they have to get bailouts basically every six years. Let's scrap that. That saves money. Let's introduce some more competition there. Uh, let's look at something like uh, exactly what's happening with all of our uh, planes and trains and ships. If you remember in Puerto Rico, uh, we had this big disaster. And because of something known as the Jones Act, we're not allowed to have foreign ships go between U.S. ports. What that means practically is that you can't have foreign airlines that work in the U.S. and go between ports. You can't have foreign ships. So if we have to deliver aid to Hawaii or Puerto Rico or anything else, it's very difficult to do that. So I think that would take it to the next level. I like where the Biden admin is, at least on this executive order, but I think we should really work to, to continue to push those better reforms that would make life much better for consumers and citizens alike. Yeah, Yelisowski is uh, with the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. Uh, you can hear Yael and his tag team partner, David Clement, uh, tomorrow at 10 o'clock at 10 a.m. on their latest edition of the Consumer Choice Radio Show. Yael, great information today. As always, uh, we wish you safe travels uh, wherever you're headed next, uh, and we look forward to our conversation this time next week. 
All right. Thanks so much, Joe. All the best and happy Freedom Friday. No question. Uh, and uh, we know there are four million uh, Georgians uh, on the other side of the world uh, who are singing the praise of freedom and liberty, uh, as described by uh, our friend Yael Asowski this morning here on the Big Talker FM. Mm-hmm.